I trust everyone had a good weekend, has had a good weekend so far, and you've come here alive, alert, awake, enthusiastic, ready to open up God's Word and to learn and be challenged. You can turn your Bibles to Ephesians 4. We're not going to jump in there quite yet, but you can start heading that direction. Those of you who don't know me, my name is John McGinnis. Uh, I am the brother-in-law of your beloved pastor, uh, down for a wedding, and what a great day it was yesterday, and how exciting that was. And uh, I'll share a little bit about our experiences in that as well, coming up here. Um, but just a great opportunity for us to be here. We, I remember talking with Andrew, and it's been a while since we've been able to share a little bit about our ministry and what we do. And we know many of you, but some of you we do not. There's been a change of faces and stuff, and this is a good opportunity to explain a little bit more about the ministry. Before we begin, though, I want to look at a couple, a couple stats that I've come across over the, over the past uh, several years, maybe year or two. The first one I found was done a couple years ago, and it, and it shows that in, in, uh, throughout the world, they kind of did some surveys, and they're trying to determine different world religions and worldviews here, that 2.3 billion people in the world claim to be Christians. Now, that's not going to be—we we may not necessarily agree with all of those people. But throughout the world, those who claim Christ as their Savior, there's about 2.3 billion, according to this survey. The next one shouldn't be a big surprise for many. Um, Islam is continuing to grow right now, and it has 1.8 billion people. I've had the opportunity to travel to a lot of places around the world— and there is very few places that I've been to where, where Islam was not a, a big presence in that particular country. The third group isn't necessarily even a group. They don't want to be considered a group. It's the uh, two, uh, 1.2 billion, and this is a group that they like to call themselves unaffiliated, which means they're religious. They're spiritual people, but they don't want to tie themselves down to one particular religious group. The fourth one there is Hinduism at 1.1 billion. Just had the opportunity to get back from uh, Nepal, and I was at the border of India and Nepal, and was really able to see Hinduism firsthand and, and the hold that that has on the people. And also in that region is the last one, the 500 million Buddhists. And again, all of these things, yes, they're going to be geographically located, but we're going to find them pretty much spread throughout the entire world at one, in one form or another. Now, in 2020, a second survey was done. This one was done by Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary uh, through their missions kind of division. And they have determined in 2020 that actually the number of Christians, of proclaiming Christians, they put it a little bit higher at 2.5 billion people who say that they are Christians. From that 2.5 billion, they, they narrowed that down to what we would call evangelicals, people who are are what we would call Bible-believing, gospel-preaching type of, of a Christian. And they, that's 285 million people claim that. Even within that, we may or may not agree with some of those numbers or some of those groups. But we're going we're to stick with that number for right now. 285 million evangelicals around the world. Those 285 million evangelicals represent local congregations. They represent 4,100,000 roughly congregations spread throughout the world. Now, if each of those congregations have a pastor, 
Now we know there are multiple pastors here. My church has multiple, multiple pastors as well. So throughout the U.S. this is different. But if each of those pastor, churches represent just one pastor, then we're looking at 4,100,000 pastors throughout the world. And there is a, a stat out there that says 85% of pastors throughout the world have little or no formal theological education. So to put that within our numbers, about 3,485,000, I'm sorry, 3,485,000 yeah, 3, pastors around the world have little or no theological education. And I'll tell you, in the travels that I have had, the churches that I have worked with, and the people that I, I've been able to interact with, I have found that stat to be very, very true. I, I tell the story, and I think I even mentioned it last time I was here, of my friend Edgardo in Costa Rica. Edgardo was a, a, a church attender at a small church in the middle of the mountains. He was very faithful, was learning, and was growing. His pastor uh, was called away, I, I don't know why, but decided to leave the church. And on the day that he left, he walked up to Agardo and said, you know what, you are faithful and you are growing. He hands him his Bible and says, why don't you pastor this church? And then left him. So my friend Agardo is here in the mountains now with no education whatsoever. So we have found that to be very true in many areas, in most areas throughout, throughout the world. At least 3,485,000 pastors. We want to answer the question, and we'll talk about this this morning. We want to answer the question, why should pastors be trained for ministry? Why should, why should they be trained and equipped? It's kind of a no-brainer, we think, and yet you still have that huge number of three million some pastors who are not trained. Before we do that, I want to share a little bit about my family. Um, Many of you know us, and, and we've been around for a while. My first ministry was here in Columbus at Memorial Baptist Church, kind of down the road a little ways. Um, my wife grew up in Cedarville, and I grew up in Springfield. So we live in that state up north that we don't talk about much. But uh, we, love, we do love the state of Michigan, just not Michigan University. Um, but it, I know, thank you. Um, God called us up there several years ago to, be, uh, to work on, on staff at a church up in Michigan in Kalamazoo area. And from that, God moved us to the mission field. And we lived in the country of Costa Rica for nine years. And during that time in Costa Rica, um, God moved and morphed and evolved our ministry to what we are doing today, to the training and equipping of pastors throughout the world. My kids, we have four children and as you can see in the pictures, we understand where Andrew and Sarah are at last year in uh, May of 2021. And then just six weeks later, in July of 2021, uh, we had two weddings within our, fam within our family. And our two oldest daughters, Katie and Megan, uh, are now married. Katie, uh, Megan is on the top there. She was the first one married in May and uh, lives in Kalamazoo with us, uh, about 15 minutes from us. And it's great to see her every, every Sunday and multiple times throughout the week. And then uh, Katie is on the bottom right-hand side there. And uh, Katie, uh, when she graduated from Cedarville, uh, she married a Marine who also graduated from Cedarville. They are currently stationed in, uh, in North Carolina. He's heading off. We're, we're, we are those parents now. He's heading off to training for four months. So we have a daughter moving back in with us for four months while he is gone training. So in a couple weeks now, Katie gets to come and spend time with us, and we're excited for that. 
But it's great to see our children grow and form new families. And we are at the stage of life now, my wife and I, where we are learning what to say and what not to say. And yeah, you're laughing because we know that's, that's a, tricky, it's a tricky thing. Um, but we are, we are learning and growing in that. Currently in our family, uh, right now in the home, is, is J.D. and Lindy, and then my wife. I'm going to do it. I'm going to make you all stand up. So yeah, they're all sighing. So this is my wife, Johnny. There's J.D. and there's Lindy. Um, Ireland is uh, 16 now, and J.D. is 15. And I, uh, I won't tell you. My wife and I, we've been married 25 years this year. So we'll, just, we'll, we'll leave it with that. Um, but we, we just love the idea of, of how God brought us back here to the United States. And I say love it, it's kind of a love-hate relationship because we came back to the United States kind of kicking and screaming. And now we see God's hand in it. What I mean by that is, uh, as, I, as we joined our Tri-M team and we began teaching, they, eventually I became the director of that organization. And we, knowing that we would have to move back eventually, uh, to help administrate this team better. We kind of had our plan, which was that in about May of 2020, we would be traveling home and kind of wrapping up ministry. And over a series of, of situations, it became very clear that we needed to come back in February of 2020. And that was not in our plans. We didn't really want to do that. And we weren't very happy about that idea. But we did it because financially in a lot of situations, that's just where it had to be which was God's grace in our lives, because as you guys know, there was this thing called a pandemic that hit in March of 2020. So our whole family moved home. We had 18 trunks. We had a dog. We had all of our kids. And it was just, it was God's hand in our life that even when we didn't really want to do something, God would say, no, I'm in control and this, you need to do this. And it prepared us well and allowed us to, to re-enter back into the United States, I think, well. That's a little bit about our, our family. Um, I want to talk a little bit more now about Tri-M and about what we do. The mission of Tri-M is to assist national pastors and leaders to better be able to reach their people by teaching and equipping and strengthening them, and, uh, especially in areas of limited access to traditional missions and wherever there is a critical need for true biblical teaching. Our ministry is built around teaching, equipping, and strengthening the church. That is what we do as we work with pastors who lead churches. We do that in areas where there is little access to theological education. So in some areas, um, it, it, like I was just in Nepal, it takes about three days to get to where we teach. You got to jump on this and do plane to here and plane to here. And, and at one point in time, it was even a motorcycle ride for half a day to get there. By God's grace, we've been able to drive that now in a car. Um, but, you know, it's just, it's just difficult places that we would, that, that they need training, and that's where we go to. Or perhaps it's economic reasons, and those are the difficulties. People can't afford to have the theological education. So we go to those places as well and provide them and give them the opportunity for pastors who normally would not be able to do it financially. Now they can come and take our, our classes and be trained and equipped. As the director, uh, it is my job and responsibility to lead uh, the team to, to work on the, the vision and to continue to grow the ministry. This past year in 2022, I've had the opportunity already to go into Costa Rica and Nepal. I'll be heading into uh, Central Asia at the end of August. I'll be back in Costa Rica in, um, 
back in Costa Rica in September, and then the end of September, part, uh, I'm sorry, end of October, November, I'll be heading into Africa as well. So there's a lot of traveling in, in what we do. As the director, we take the position of a player coach. And what I mean, what I mean by that is, is we are certainly the coach where we, we lead the group and the team, but we are also participating in what we do. So everywhere I go, I also get the opportunity to, to teach, uh, which is something that I really enjoy doing. Of course, also, uh, I'm in a lot of meetings, and we get to promote the ministry as well. So where are we serving? We are serving in multiple countries around the world. We're serving in, in about 20 countries right now, primarily in the countries uh, in Eastern Europe, in the Mediterranean, in Central and Southeast Asia, Africa, and Central and North America. In Eastern Europe, uh, we focus primarily in Ukraine, Russia, Belarus, those areas. And as you know, uh, we have had very limited access uh, to those countries right now. Although it's incredible to see God continuing to work within the ministries there, um, men that, that have already been pastors who have already been trained are able to continue some of that teaching. We've been able to help in the, in the country of Ukraine um, by, by getting about $70,000 into the hands of pastors that we, that we currently work with. And they've been able to, being able to help resource them um, and really help them as they help their communities um, as they're continuing to go through this conflict. In Southeast and Central Asia, I mentioned we, I was just back from the country of Nepal. And man, I could show you pictures and tell you some incredible stories there. God's doing great work in Nepal and in India and in, those, and in that region of the world. It's just incredible to see God, God growing uh, the church in those areas. We're in about nine different countries throughout the, throughout the continent of Africa, um, serving in, in, a, in the, the core curriculum and teaching for pastors there as well. Finally, in Central America, that's where we tend to focus, my wife and I, because we speak Spanish, and um, I was in Costa Rica. So we're in Central America there. And in North America, we, we have uh, the former, the founder of our ministry is teaching on uh, Native American Indian reservations in North and South Dakota and parts of Minnesota as well. So we are spread, pretty, pretty much spread throughout. There are seven main teachers that work with us. Um, so teachers cover multiple countries as well. Currently, there are 500 students taking classes in Triumph courses right now. So in 2021, we had 500. 2022, looks like it's going to be the same number, maybe a few more as well. Um, so it's really a, a, an incredible responsibility and an opportunity to interact with these pastors to help equip them so that later they can equip their churches as well. So why? Why should a pastor be trained for ministry? Ephesians 4, we're going to turn to Ephesians 4, verses 11 to 16. This was read, and we're going to read it again. And he gave the apostles and the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain unity uh, to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro 
by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body is joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We're going to look this morning at, at three different uh, observations that I want to bring out from this passage as we look at the role of the pastor. Number one, we see that the pastor is a gift to the church. The pastor is a gift to the church. I'm, I'm certain that as a church, uh, you have talked many different times about spiritual gifts, gifts that we have been given so that we can be used, using them within the body of Christ. Passages in Romans. Romans mentions prophecy, serving, teaching, exhortation, uh, giving, leadership, mercy as a list of, of, of spiritual gifts that have been given to the church for the building up of the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12 talks about words of wisdom, knowledge, faith, healing, miracles, prophecy, distinguishing of spirits, tongues, interpretation of tongues. These are things that were given to the church so that the church can be thoroughly equipped, so that we can function together at, in, in unity. It's like how a husband and wife come together and they have different gifts and abilities, different roles, and yet they can function as one unit. As we look at these gifts, these spiritual gifts given to us, we now have the book of Ephesians, and we see Paul talking about this, these, other, these gifts that were given to the church as well in the form of people. And you know, what you have here is you have a list of people. You have apostles and prophets, evangelists, and then shepherd teacher. The, um, the apostles, of course, we know are the men who were there with Christ, who saw the resurrected Christ, who were, who were, were given the charge, the establishment of the church, especially we, we read about them mostly throughout the book of, of Acts, well, and the Gospels as well, of course. And then you have the prophets, those people from in the Old Testament that pointed to Messiah, that pointed to who Jesus was, um, and yet not knowing him in the future. They pointed towards him. And this is the foundation that was, that was laid down. Paul writes a couple chapters earlier in Ephesians 2, 20, he talks about this, and he says, Build upon, Built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ himself being the cornerstone, he's referring to the church here, being built upon that foundation, and Christ being the, the cornerstone, the, 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 the hinge point of this church. The next group he mentions are the evangelists. Now, I don't know how many of you guys remember evangelists. They're not as popular now as they used to be, um, I am, uh, I am, I'm a pretty cool guy, uh, was in high school. I was so cool that I actually took my now wife on a date to a Billy Graham crusade. Thank you. Yeah. At the time, it seemed like a really good idea. Um, and you know, I mean, why not? So, uh, but you know, we think of evangelists, we think of those type of people. D.L. Moody, we think of of Billy Graham, and, and that's certainly part of it. Someone who's out there proclaiming and, and, and preaching and teaching, and that's absolutely it. Um, also, we see in the book of Acts, you see a guy that is referred to as Philip the Evangelist. 
Uh, Paul, Paul's talking about here, and it says, On the next day we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and, 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 and he was able to stay with him. See, this, this Philip the Evangelist, these, these are the guys that went out into other places to share the gospel, what we would probably consider more modern-day missionaries today, those who would pioneer to go out where the gospel is needed. As you can imagine, you see the foundation with the apostles and with the, uh, with the prophets. Now you have those that are going out and establishing the church beyond all of that. These are gifts that were given to the church to help form and establish what we have and know today. The last group is what we're talking about here. The last group are the pastors, the teachers. Now there's two ways to look at this. You can see it as pastors and teachers, or you can see the pastor teacher. And that's what this is really referring to, I think, in this passage right now. It is the idea of, of a pastor is someone who teaches, and we'll talk about later about equips and trains and so forth, the, the body of Christ. But this is a gift that has been given to the church, this office of pastor, this person to guide and direct it. I want to read a part of an article that was written. One of the pastors that we work with uh, in, in Ukraine uh, during the, time, the initial time of this conflict, of course, had, he was living just outside of, of the capital of Kiev. And of course, he had the, they had to make the decision on whether they're going to stay and be the church in the middle of wartime, or are they going to flee the, the city or not. He uh, wrote an article that was later published by the Gospel Coalition. Um, and this is just excerpts from it. He said, In recent weeks, nearly all the missionaries have been told to leave Ukraine. Western nations evacuated their embassies and citizens. Traffic in the capital of Kiev is, is disappearing. Where did the people go? Oligarchs, businessmen, and those who can afford, to, are, afford it are leaving, saving their families from potential war. Should we do the same? My wife and I have decided to remain in our city near Kiev. We want to serve the people here along with the Bible Church, where I joined uh, the pastoral team in 2016. In anticipation of the coming disaster, we've bought a supply of food, medicine, and fuel so that if necessary, we'll be able to help those in need rather than be a burden to them. Listen to this. How should the church respond when there is a growing threat of war? When there, is, when there is constant fear in society, I am convinced that if the church is not relevant in the time of crisis, then it is not relevant in the time of peace. And while the church may not fight like the nations, we believe that we have a role to play in the struggle. We will shelter the weak, we will serve the suffering, and mend the broken. And as we do, we offer an unshakable hope of the gospel of Christ— while we may feel helpless in the face of such a crisis, we can pray like Esther. Ukraine is not God's covenant people, but, but like Israel, our hope is that the Lord will remove the danger as he did for the ancient people. And as we stay, we pray the church in Ukraine will faithfully trust the Lord and, serving, and serve our neighbors. I remember reading that article before it was published. It was actually just something he had wrote and sent out to his churches and to his supporters. And you see the, the role that a pastor plays. And I think, man, this, this guy is a gift to his church. 
it is very clear that hard decisions needed to be made. And as a good leader, he says, this is what we have chosen to do. Not faulting those who left, because I have many friends who are not in Kiev anymore, who have left, but just realizing that as where they are at as a couple and where they are at as a church, it is their job and their responsibility to be salt and light in a very difficult time. The second thing I want to bring out is that it is the pastor's, the pastor was given to the church to equip the church. The pastor is to equip the church. Verse uh, 12, Ephesians 4, 12, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. This idea of equipping is the idea of completely furnishing something, to prepare it thoroughly and to, and to have it ready. Uh, I don't know if you guys like watching, but we watch a lot of uh, HGTV. And, uh, you know, you, these people, they, they rebuild these homes, and they fix it. And then there's always that stage where they kind of stage the, the house for people to walk through. And it's, they make sure that everything from the plants to everything is all in the right place. And that it's all ready to go. My wife and I, our church was a huge blessing to us and was able to renovate a good portion of our home right before we moved back. And to help them think through what furniture we needed, now we are two years later, and we're still thinking about how can we get it just right. The idea of equipping is getting it ready, having it prepared for action or for a purpose. It's like the idea of, uh, I, like to, I like to fish. Um, maybe you do, maybe you don't, but I love fishing. Um, and, you know, I can tie a knot and tie my hook on with a knot, and I could have my kids go fishing with me, and I could just tie the knot on their hooks all the time for them. Which, as you know, when you go fishing with kids, that can get annoying because they get snagged and ripped off, and, you know, it's just constantly doing that. Or I could teach them how to tie that knot themselves, and they can do it themselves. My wife teaches our daughters how to, how to cook. Um, when our daughters turn 16, so Lindy's pretty much on right now. She'll, she'll be starting here soon. When they turn about 16 or so, they're usually responsible for cooking one of the meals during the week for the family. And the idea is we want them to be an opportunity for them to learn how to cook so that when they do get married, as our daughters do, their husbands appreciate the fact that they know how to cook. And uh, it's just, we, we train and we, we, we equip them for what's to come and to be doing what God intends them to do. That's what the church does. That's what pastor does for the body of Christ. He is to train the church to do the work of the ministry. The problem today is that we, pretty much all of us, we want to do what is easy and whatever it is that demands the least amount of effort. That's what I've seen. I've seen it here. I've seen it globally as well. We want to be, we want the easy road. We want to be able to come into church to hear a message and to leave. Come back next Sunday, hear a message and leave. And that's not how the church was built. God gifted each one of you guys with a gift, with, a, with an opportunity to serve and to edify, to build up the body of Christ. What is that giftedness that you have? And how can you do that here in this body so that this body will grow and you guys can function in unity. That is what a church is to do. That is what a family does. It is a pastor's job to prepare you and I for the hard work of the ministry. And it, it is hard many times. For how long? Verse 13 says, until we all attain unity of the faith. 
Well, that right there, we could stop, and that's going to take a long time right there, I think. Uh, unity, we, we know, especially in the culture and the world we live in today, that's, that's a pretty, pretty high task. But it goes on, it says, in the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ. This is an ongoing task for the pastor to do, to train and equip these people so that they can, you and I, can serve the body of Christ in the body. It has been very easy for us to, to realize the need for one another when you had times of COVID where, that's, where we've all been apart. I don't know about you guys, but I really missed gathering together. Um, our church, we had several, several months there where it was all online and just, I missed it. We missed seeing each other. Third one, the pastor is to protect the church. The pastor has a role to protect the church. Listen carefully to this. Verse 14, and so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried out by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and by craftiness in deceitful schemes. It says, considers us or treats us like children. Now, I, I, I love doing ministry and I used to work with youth. Um, children, not really my cup of tea for the most part. I certainly work with children, but you know, when you deal with children, uh, there is a level of, of um, simplicity and they're easily tricked. I, I, I always, I like to do a, uh, I, my dad always did it. I do a magic trick where we make, the, make it all disappear and I've practiced my whole life and now, now JD, I've passed that on to him. He can do it as well. And I always use it when I would talk to little kids and they're like trying to lose interest. I'll, I'll just you know, show them and they're like amazed. All over the world, I've done this and they're just amazed because it's easy to trick a kid, a little one. And Paul's saying here, he's like, that you and I, that we are, we are not to be like those people who are easily fooled or easily tricked. And it talks about the idea of being tossed to and fro by every wave of doctrine, by every, and it's like the idea of a cork or something floating out in the middle of the water. And as the waves go, you know, it just kind of follows that current. And the wind blows, they, it just, it, so whatever's popular, it runs over here. And now if this is the new and popular thing, it all runs over to here as well. And the idea is that you and I are to not be like that. And it is the pastor's job as he protects the church to keep us from following those things by the wind of doctrine, cunning and craftiness uh, uh, and in deceitful schemes. It is a jo pastor's job to protect the church from things that may sound or look cool, but in reality, they are the twisting of scripture for the sake of relevance and convenience. We need, all need to learn discernment. There's a lot being produced right now around the world um, in things that have been written that sound great. And without discernment, they make perfect sense. But as you read through it discerningly, you see really a twisting of what Scripture says because this makes it more relevant or this makes it more convenient. We need to be people who are discerning. I've had the great opportunity to watch our services at our church in Michigan online on, on five different continents. I, I love the opportunity to be able to tune in on YouTube or at, at the time when I was on Facebook, I'm not on there anymore, um, to be able to watch it live or whatever. I like that opportunity, that's, that's great. Um, but it's time. 
And I know that everywhere I go, in every country I've been to working with pastors, one of the biggest wrestling that decision-making that they're doing is, what do we do about the online services? Because you know what? It's become too easy now for you and I to stay home. We can watch the video, we can watch the sermon, we're, we're, we're good to go. But we miss this right here. We miss the rubbing of shoulders, the face-to-face -face contact, the, the accountability that we have as the body of Christ. These are the things that are, are good things. I, I love watching our service, it's good. But we need to be now together as a body of Christ, as a family. This needs to happen. These are the things that pastors wrestle with. Trying to protect a flock, trying to build unity within the body of Christ. There's no commitment when you watch church online. There is accountability when we're here. A pastor's job is to protect the church. And the pastors that I know and that I work with take that job very, very seriously. Verse 15 says, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is Christ the head, from which the whole body is joined and held together in every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. It's something that as the pastor pours into the church and equips and trains the church and works on protecting the church, the church starts to grow. And that is his part in this. So the goal is to see churches who are equipped, who are working properly, who are growing and building themselves up in love. So why should the pastor be trained for ministry? 2 Timothy 2.2. This is the verse that we have really built our entire ministry around says, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. It is our, it is the role to, in, Paul, in, this, in this passage, Paul is speaking to Timothy and he's telling Timothy as Timothy is now to find faithful men who he can be pouring into, who will then go out and pour into others. We, we, we train pastors, and we're always asked by the pastors, hey, can, can we bring so-and-so and so-and-so and from our church? And I, we don't really say no. I mean, I'm not going to stop them. But we, we emphasize to them, our goal is not the average person sitting in the pew. Not that that's bad. But our goal is to to train and equip the pastors because it is their job and responsibility to go back then and to train those within their church. Why do we train pastors? We train pastors because each of these men, look at them, look at these faces, look at what's represented here in our teachings. Each of these men represent a church. Go ahead and do the next one. And the church that is facing challenges and it is facing problems and it is facing struggles all over the world. Many of these men must stand for truth in very, very difficult places. And some of these men will give their lives for the truth of the gospel. We have to realize that. All these guys, especially here in the Eastern Europe area, I mean, I know all of these men— and 
what they're going through right now is unbelievable. And this is why we train and equip so that men will pour into their body so that when war comes, when things happen, they will be able to respond and help their church grow. And that's why we train pastors for ministry. It is our goal to equip them so that they can in turn train and equip their churches to do the work of the ministry. So let's end it with two applicational questions here. First, do you, do we see the pastor as a gift? Do we see the pastor as a gift that has been given to the church? Do we recognize that? But along with that is the second question. Do we recognize his role as the equipper and the protector? Do you recognize the pastor as being a gift from God to the local church to help guide and direct it, but also to equip it and to protect it? It's hard leading people. I have the wonderful opportunity to lead a small team of seven guys. And we always joke, it's like herding cats sometimes. Try leading a church. How much harder that is. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls and those, as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Our pastors have a heavy responsibility before God in it, over our growth. Do we respect them? Do we honor them? Do we pray for them? Our pastors, they are not perfect, but last time I checked, neither are you and I. We all have issues and we all have struggles and we all are in need of grace and mercy. I want to end it with just a thank you from our family. This is uh, some of our prayer cards over the, over the last 12 years of, of ministry now. Uh, in the area of missions. We have been here for 12 years in, as missionaries. Over the last 12 years, a lot has changed. We have seen pastors come and go. We have seen friends come and go. Uh, we've seen two of our daughters move on. And yet two things have really been stable through the, through the whole process. The first is God. God has been faithful to our family and we are so thankful for that. We have never gone without. We have never struggled um, in, in, a, in a physical way. Um, God has been good to our family, as he is, I'm sure, to each of you. And the second thing is that uh, the consistency and the support of churches who have partnered with us in what we are doing, and you guys are part of that as well. Just faithfully giving in times of some pretty, as we all know, pretty rough economic times right now. Churches and individuals have been very faithful, and we appreciate that very much. We cannot thank you enough. Thank you for the opportunity to be here, to share a little bit about our ministry and what God's been doing. I hope it's an encouragement to you all. Let you guys know that as we continue to go, we talk about each of you guys as churches regularly to our pastors. These are the, these are the, these are the examples that we give of, of churches who are faithfully praying for them 
as we are training and equipping them. Let me close our time in a word of prayer. My wife and I will be up around here, I believe, uh, when we're done. If you want to talk, have any questions or whatever else, feel free to come up and talk and then we'll, we'll be done. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to share this morning. I thank you for this church and for your church all over the globe. I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to and the privilege to train and equip pastors. And I thank you for the role that this church plays in that as they enable us to be able to go over and do those things. I pray, Lord, you continue to guide and direct as we work with pastors throughout the world. I pray for our guys that you would protect them, that you would show them grace and mercy, that you would allow them to be the leaders, the bold leaders that they need to be throughout the world, equipping their men and women to do the work of the ministry every day. I pray, Lord, this would be an encouragement to us and a challenge as well. I ask all these things in your name. Amen. My wife and I will be up here, and uh, you guys are all dismissed.